0: Hi Alistair, it's really good to see you again, um, and uh, I love, there's a lot of things going on in the world, and I, know, I think you must be the one most capable, in my world at least, uh, keeping a track of all, all the things that, that's going on. Um, and maybe we can start with what's happening in the
1: banking world. Yes, sure. Um, Well, thank you for asking me anyway. uh, um, It won't have escaped. Um, I think almost anybody's noticed that there is a banking crisis. There is the hope that the banking crisis is over. Um, You know, you put a bit of sticking plaster over Silicon Valley Bank, um, as it were, sell it to someone else, another bank and problem solved. Um, Not at all. Um, The the underlying problem is that um, there has been a credit bubble which has been running really for the last four decades. And going to zero interest rates and negative interest rates in Europe and Japan really marked the end of that bubble. Um, It was the top of the bubble, if you like. And uh, we are now in, um, if you like, a a period where the bubble is now imploding on itself. And we see this with rising interest rates. Um, The reason they're rising is because credit is now contracting. And you can see this if you look at the statistics of money supply, particularly in the United States, and also it's developing in Europe as well. What that means is that when credit becomes less freely available and then becomes scarce, interest rates rise because it is, if you like, the price that people have to pay to get the credit to which they have become accustomed. So we have rising interest rates. Now, you need to know that the banking system has got itself completely committed to very low interest rates, which means in order to get the returns on equity, they have had to gear up their balance sheets to the maximum levels. And this is why, if you look at the Japanese banks, they have an average uh, ratio of assets to equity of around about 20 times. If you look at the major um, global systemically important banks in the eurozone of which there were seven or eight uh, they have an average um, assets to equity ratio of uh, around about 20 times as well some of them in excess of that <clears throat> the problem with this situation is that um, now that banks have been alerted to the instability of the global banking system Every bank manager, every bank director is looking at ways to reduce that leverage on their balance sheet. Because if you write out, write out, write off, let's say a million kroner um, on your assets, the effect on your shareholders is multiplied. In terms of the losses that that generates for shareholders equity, it is multiplied by the ratio between the assets. (laughs) and uh the equity so with banks being very highly exposed with the credit bubble now imploding every bank is now looking at its counterparty relationships what this means is that they will look at um banks with which they deal in the interbank markets um what happens with the interbank market is that um, let's say that you're running a bank. You will have a file or at least recorded um, your relationship, your credit relationship with every bank that you're likely to deal with. You will set that credit limit. You will say that um, bank ABC, I'm prepared to run a limit of 10 million kroner or something like that on interbank, because the point about interbank dealing is it's not collateralized. There's no collateral. It's uncollateralized. It's like a an overdraft, if you like. The purpose of the interbank market is simply to correct the imbalances that arise as deposits shift from one bank to another bank. You will get some within a, uh, if you like, a confined system. You will get some banks at the end of the day which have um, which are long of deposits, which they can then balance on their balance sheet by lending out into the interbank market. And you will have other banks who are short of deposits and need to borrow from the interbank market in order to balance their balance sheets. And in, uh, if you like, a combined uh, banking system, the total uh, of deposits um, is unchanged. But obviously you get the imbalances between each bank uh, and each bank. So going back to the situation where you find yourself as a banker, you begin to worry about the creditworthiness of the banks with whom you have these counterparty dealings. So you will instruct your dealers to reduce the level of obligations for safety's sake. You will look at some banks uh, whose business suggests that they might be more van- vulnerable to a bank run because they are highly leveraged, more highly leveraged than average, perhaps because of the sort of business that they do. Um, they may be involved in derivatives, and uh, derivative transactions represent a systemic risk. So you're going to take that into account. So you're going to tell your dealers that some banks do not deal with full stop mm. so you can see that within the system this uh, bubble implosion that's taken 40 years in the making has some very serious consequences
0: mm.
1: that is what we face now on top mm. of that you've got the whole problem of the valuation of bonds now this is what did for svb silicon valley bank um And it's the same problem with banks all around the world because, um, the way in which they have evolved their business with zero interest rates, with negative interest rates is to go along the yield curve to pick up yield on their bond investments. And generally they have angled themselves more and more towards financial activities over the last 40 years than financing the non financial uh Mm. economy because um you know all productions has gone out to the far east or wherever i mean you you know we don't make the things that we consume anymore um we are service industries which require less capital if you like less overdraft Mm. um less credit in order Mm. to function so the banks have gone into the fi- you know, into financial activities to a very large extent. And this is reflected um, in the level of derivatives. I mean, if you look at the Bank of International Settlements, uh, figures for notional derivatives, you've got round about, I think, $40 trillion in regulated futures. You've got a further, I think, something like $600 trillion um, in, uh, over the counter derivatives. Now, not all of those really, um, you know, in terms of nominal risk, um, w- we can ignore. I mean, things like, uh, uh, interest rate swaps and so on and so forth, that doesn't involve a commitment to the full amount. But if on the other hand, you do a forward transaction in, um, a currency swap, mm. then you as a bank actually are committed to doing a currency swap down the road, unless, of course, you sell your commitment to someone else. But while you have got it, it is a commitment and it's not on your balance sheet. So you can see that the systemic risk within the banking system actually has is far, far larger than the bank's balance sheets actually reflect. Mm. This is a very dangerous situation. Now, the idea that you can just deal with Credit Suisse, um, sell it off to UBS for for minimal money, or indeed you can deal with the Silicon Valley Bank. And I mean, in the UK, it was the UK subsidiary was bought by HSBC for one pound. Yeah. Yeah. Job done. No, it's not job done because this is symptomatic. It is, if you like, the first sign of a banking crisis. And we have seen it at, um, you know, in two levels. You've seen a good old fashioned bank run against Credit Suisse because its depositors, um, have taken fright at the poor management of the company, of the bank. And we have seen. Um, I mean, if we go into the uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank problem a little more, basically, when the cost of funding um, out of um, money markets, which was tied very, very closely to uh, the uh, Fed's um, uh, interest rate, the Fed funds rate, um, which was zero, they could pick up, they could buy something Mm -hmm. like a 10-year Maturity, And they were encouraged to go out along the yield curve when it was positive as far as possible to pick up extra yield. Mm -hmm. What has happened is that the Fed funds rate has now shot up from zero to four and three quarter percent. While at the same time, the value of the bonds that they bought have collapsed. Mm -hmm. They have gone down so that the 10 year U.S. Treasury, I mean, you, you know, with you probably bought one with a half percent coupon was that worth i mean at the worst it was probably worth something under 70 cents on the dollar these are huge losses and the undoing of slv was that a few people who were close to the bank and were talking about people with significant uh, financial interests realized what was going on and began to get out of mm. that position they wanted you know they started selling down the shares They started withdrawing deposits and it got to the point where SLV realized that um, they were insolvent and they needed to raise more equity in order to correct the situation.
0: Mm.
1: So they announced that they were trying to raise a further. I think it was something like one and a half billion dollars of equity. But all that did was it alerted everybody else. To the bank's difficulties mm. so you know it was too late it collapsed the bank and I can tell you that all around America there are regional banks in exactly the same position all around Europe there are regional banks in exactly the same position it's true of the GSIBs as well mm. and in mm. Europe we've got um, we've got a massive repo market now what that that if you like I explained how the interbank markets, the repo market is a collateralized version of it. And when mm. you look at within the eurozone, I think that the last recorded figure was repos were roughly five or six, I think, six trillion um, euros equivalent. This is, you know, th- th- these are substantial numbers, very substantial numbers. Mm. Uh, and uh, so we are going to have more banking shocks. Um don't think that this is over.
0: No, and it's all to do
1: with the collapsing bubble.
0: Anyway. No, just touching upon Deutsche Bank, which I think appeared uh, about two weeks ago going into the weekend, mm. one and a half week ago. It seems to have been... Um, everything is quiet now. It hasn't been on the news for a long time anything about any banks having any, having major problems did you know anything more about deutsche bank <laughs> what, what well, has happened what, what's going on on behind the scenes etc
1: deutsche bank has been walking wounded really for well ever since the eurozone banking crisis um <clears throat> and it's everybody's favorite example of the next one to yeah. to fall to fail uh you know, only time will tell whether it fails fails or not. I mean, yeah. the conditions are there, not just for Deutsche Bank, but for all the other major Eurozone G-SIBs. Um I mean, the French banks are in a, a, a pretty awful situation. The Italian banks, similarly, are in an mm. awful situation. So um, I think to pick on Deutsche Bank is to look at it too narrowly. Um, mm. But I'll give you an example of... What happened in the 2008 crisis, which was a very different situation. But again, um, it was a problem with uh, which resulted in a banking crisis in the UK in September 2007. Um, one of our banks, which was basically a mortgage lender, um, ran into difficulties and there was actually a run on it. This is called mm-hmm. Northern Rock. There were people queuing round, uh, uh you know, the branches of the Royal Bloc. I mean, you know, good old fashioned run like you saw on the newsreel of mm. what happened in Wall Street in 1930. They were queuing around to take their money out of this, um, out of Northern Rock. And, um, you know, it's this thing. Once it starts, you know, it gets out of control. Um, it was taken into, um, well, basically what happened was that the Bank of England, well sorry let me just take go back a step because this fits in with what I've said so far all the other banks in the UK refused to lend to northern rock why because they recognized that this was um uh, uh you know systemic risk i mean writ large they had been offering 125% mortgages to new buyers of property mm. you know in other words you know it rather like you know i mean today we have um uh, we have banks in america and you know i mean that's the only ones that have become public who basically got themselves out you know in a ridiculous situation where the cost of finance has shot up Mm -hmm. and the value of the assets have collapsed in 2007 it was northern rock it's exactly Mm -hmm. the same dynamics you know different markets same dynamics and um so the banks wouldn't lend to Northern Rock. So Northern Rock had to turn to the Bank of England for help. Now, basically, when a bank turns to the central bank for help, basically, it has got pariah status. Nobody wants to deal with it. No. And despite the Bank of England's support, despite um attempts to get Northern Rock going again because no, none of the other banks would support it it eventually had to be taken into um, uh, uh, it had to be nationalized taken into control complete control by the Bank of England the following February mm, so okay. we had we had from September to February so it was about what five months or thereabouts uh, between Northern Rock actually failing, And it actually being taken out of, you know, just completely taken out of circulation. So, I mean, this is this. the point behind this is that when you get a banking crisis, it is not necessarily an instant hit with, you know, it's either resolved or it's not resolved. This is something which, once it begins, tends to continue. Mm. I think there could come a point, I think it's very likely there will come a point, where these bank failures just start getting out of control. Um, Because what we're talking about is unwinding a credit bubble, which Mm. which has developed over the last 40 years. That is coming to an end. And incidentally, another point, which I think very few people understand, is that interest rates are no longer under the control of the central banks. Mm. Interest rates now reflect the shortage of credit, And going back to my example of a bank director trying to manage the risk in his bank, trying to become more conservative, if you like, in his uh, business outlook. The effect of that is to drive the price of credit interest rates higher and higher and higher. Mm. And the idea that you can link interest rates to some forecast For the rate of inflation which is what the central banks are doing they're saying it's going to go back to two percent maybe not this year but next year sort of thing and therefore even though inflation you know consumer price index is rising by depending where you are six seven eight nine ten percent we can ignore that because we know it is going back down to two percent no That is not how it works. The way it Mm. works is the shortage of credit is intensifying. And because people are desperate for credit, that will drive up the price of credit. In other words, interest rates, Mm. because that is the way in which credit is regulated. For very many borrowers, there's going to be no credit available. This is a situation which is only beginning. And it's going to be very serious. And I don't know about your National Wealth Fund, which was invested in all sorts of stuff. But you can see that the effect of rising interest rates due to the contraction of bank credit is going to drive down financial asset values very substantially. I mean, I think the crash that we had in 1929 is likely to be repeated. I can't Mm -hmm. see how it's going to stop. This is a very severe situation and um, eventually it will lead to a collapse of the currencies because unlike 1929, when uh, the dollar was on a gold standard, I mean, the rest of us weren't necessarily, um, but in 1929, the dollar, which was the international currency, was on a gold standard. The gold standard worked. It meant that the currencies didn't collapse along with the financial system. Mm -hmm. But now there is absolutely nothing tying the currencies um, to anything other than hot air. Mm -hmm. So when you get a financial crisis and the central banks are committed to ensuring the survival of the financial system, the only way they can do that is by expanding the quantity of currency in circulation. Mm -hmm. They will do that. Um, whatever it takes to use Mario Draghi's (laughs) famous phrase from, what was it, 2014, I think, or 12 or thereabouts. So you Mm. can see, you know, currencies are not immune from this problem.
0: But but then you have the central banks, uh, which you have also written quite a lot of banks uh, about, Uh, and the major central banks are uh, more or less insolvent uh, already. You have the, yeah. the Fed, the, the ECB, etc. How, yeah,
1: how, how
0: can this play out then? Well, I mean, they, can, they can print, but.
1: That's a, that's a very good question. Um, because the major central banks have all indulged in quantitative easing, what mm-hmm. quantitative easing amounts to is buying your own government bonds at the highest possible prices you have rigged the market against yourself as a central bank. Mm -hmm. And uh, consequently, the losses that you see in, we've seen in Silicon Valley Bank, exactly um, the same uh, losses, but on a far larger scale that we now Mm -hmm. see wiping out the very, very small amounts of shareholder capital in a typical central bank. I mean, in the case of the, um, Japanese uh, 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 central bank. Um, I think their equity is something like a hundred million um, uh, yen. Now, a hundred million yen is nothing. I calculated that the losses from last year on their enormous quantities of bonds. I mean, they've got bonds. They've even got um, investments in in ETFs, in equity ETFs and yeah. property uh reits um in japan i mean you know they've just gone um bananas on on investing in everything their losses i reckon were f- something like 42000 times mm-hmm. their equity capital now it's actually quite easy to recapitalize <clears throat> a central bank all you do is you create a loan in favor of your shareholder I mean, it helps if you've got one shareholder. Let's put it this way. Yeah. In this case, a government. Uh, and instead of booking the other side of your, of your balance sheet as, um, you know, a deposit, because when you create a loan, you create a deposit on the other side. Double entry bookkeeping, you, that's the way it works. Mm-hmm. Instead of booking it as a deposit, you book it as equity. So that way you've increased the amount of equity on your balance sheet. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds fraudulent, but that's the way it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's quite easy. That's easy to do. But you don't want to do this when you've got to support your commercial banking system and to protect every depositor in the system. This is not a good time to come across this problem. Mm -hmm. But then you look at something like the ECB. The whole of the euro system is in negative equity. Now, the euro system is the ECB itself and all the national central banks within the eurozone they're all in negative equity i mean i don't know there may be one or two very small ones which are not you know like malta or you know perhaps even bosnia which has actually just joined um uh, the eurozone um, they may <laughs> they may be all right but i don't know i haven't looked at it but so you've got this problem that in order to recapitalize the ecb You've got to go to the shareholders who are the national central banks
0: Mm.
1: and the national central banks themselves are in trouble, you know, like negative equity. So and the national central banks in most cases, if not all cases, will have to go to their parliaments, their politicians and say, uh, can we have a bailout, please? you know don't worry we know how to do it it's very easy we just you know we'll create um, a loan for you and you can book we'll book it as equity so you don't need to put your hand in your pocket or anything like that you know you don't need to budget for this we can sort it out but please give us permission to do so you can see what what's going to happen in say the um uh, the german parliament um get politicians involved there i mean they have a track record of not really trusting the ECB. And it would be inconceivable that the politicians would not ask questions, for example, about, hold on a minute, the Bundesbank is asking us to recapitalise it and at the same time give it extra resources so it can subscribe for new shares in the ECB. But The Target 2 system owes us 1.1 trillion euros. Well, you know, why are we having to do this? Why doesn't the... So you can see that the whole bag of worms is going to begin to become very, very public. Yeah. And I think that actually we are potentially looking at the end of the euro itself as the euro system tries to... um, support its commercial banking network, tries to do it, um, tries to recapitalize itself. However this plays out, I think this is potentially leading to the year, end of the euro system. Hmm. So Norway will be glad not to be part of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, we have our own currency at least. And, I mean, um, it,
1: there's going to yeah. be enough, enough trouble, I think, without, uh, without having to deal with that one.
0: Yeah, but uh, another question is um, bail-ins uh, versus bailouts. What happened to? I I figured the name of the game now was bail-ins after 2007 and 2008, but it just doesn't seem like it.
1: Well, uh, it, it's I mean, back to bailouts. It, well, I mean bail-in was ridiculous. Um, yeah. I mean, really, there is a fundamental duty on a central bank to ensure the integrity of its commercial banking system, um, and almost almost without exception it must support banks i mean the idea of moral hazard and all the rest of it which you know we all talk about i mean it's fine in theory but in principle forget it Mm. you cannot afford to let your banking system fall over because there is one bank you don't particularly like now the problem with bail-ins was that the whole concept was that uh the share uh, sorry the the um uh, the electorate, ordinary people, the taxpayer um, wouldn't have to pay for, um, you know, the, 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 the sort of virtually criminal actions of bankers relying yeah. on bailouts. Um, so, uh, I mean, this is this is a pipe dream. And actually, while it was agreed um, by the G20 that all the members of the G20 would introduce legislation, to authorise bail-ins. The reality is it is completely impractical. And we saw the Swiss. I mean, all it does is it creates room for confusion. What the Swiss did um, with the legislation, and they could do this because, you know, they legislated so they could do it. Um, What they did was they arranged for a takeover so that the shareholders got something, but the tier one capital bondholders got nothing. Now this stands mm-hmm. company law on its head. You know, basically shareholders are at the end of the queue in a mm-hmm. liquidation. Um, and uh, you know, I, it, this, that's the sort of confusion that can arise. And you can see how, um, it was potentially destabilizing for, um, for Switzerland. I think the effect of that, I mean, the effect of that made it, made it harder for, um, banks to use bonds as a means of Recapitalizing themselves. Mm. Yeah. Message. Message widely received. Don't buy these bonds. Yeah. And the second thing I think is as far as um, uh, investors, and we're talking about insurance companies, pension funds and so on and so forth, looking at Switzerland as, um, you know, the Swiss franc, whatever, as 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 um, a potential investment medium or somewhere to invest capital. I think that they will be looking at this and thinking, is this a good idea? Is Switzerland a good idea? Should we be investing in Switzerland? Um, yeah, the whole thing. It showed a level of incompetence at the central bank level or exposed a level of incompetence at the central bank level, which I think is worrying for investors. So I don't think it's done them any good at all. I think, if anything, um I mean, we're talking about 17 billion Swiss francs. That's all. I mean, it's yeah. not. You know, this is not um, a huge, huge amount that was being potentially saved. Uh, anyway, so that's that. That um, uh, is the point about bail in. If anyone goes, confuses bail out with bail in, then they'll collapse the whole system. And uh, I think that the lesson was very, very quickly learned. We saw it in America as well, because um, Janet Yellen, who's Treasury Secretary, was trying to make statements about moral hazard and so on which as a politician, I can understand um, why she was making that. But the problem is that when you get to a point in a crisis where anything the officials say is always taken the wrong way. And that, I think, was really, um, you know, what w- what happened um, o- over that. I mean, you know, you just, oh, so you're not going to protect the regional banks. Oh, dear. Right. Mm. Get rid of my deposits in regional banks. Go into J.P. Morgan or whatever, and that's actually what's happened. I mean, there's been a flood of deposits from mm-hmm. banks which may or may not be risky, going into mm-hmm. into you know the sort of the ones that are deemed too big to fail yeah. because of the moral hazard argument, which um, unfortunately um, uh, it was let slip.
0: Mm. Interesting. Um, maybe we should turn to uh, to the, um, the big the other big topic of, of the time, de-dollarization, BRICS, BRICS Plus. Um, and I, I think there is going to be, uh, I'm just introducing uh, with this, uh, there's going to be a meeting in August, I believe, in South Africa with the BRICS countries. Yeah. Uh, and there has been some talk, I see, uh, that... Maybe some announcements will come at that point. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, maybe you can give some flavor on on the dollar and, and what's going on in, in BRICS. Yeah, sure. I, um,
1: before this banking crisis, um, I think that you could say it would actually take quite a long time for people to, you know, within the sort of, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, BRICS, the Eurasian Economic Union, it would take some time for them to really adopt Mm. currencies other than the dollar and perhaps the euro, the euro being, if you like, sort of second to the dollar in terms of trade settlements. Um, But the banking crisis has changed all that. And um, it's, I mean, only in recent weeks we have seen countries around the world moving away from dollars in terms of, uh you know, their future, if you like, let's put it that way. They now rest. They now realize that, um uh, you know, what these risks really are. And so you don't really want to hold the currencies. Um You don't want to use that. You don't want to rely on them to settle your trade. Uh, you know, this is quite serious. So suddenly we've seen all sorts of countries around the world um, who in the past will be absolutely terrified of the Americans' retribution against them if they just mentioned settlement in another currency. Yeah. Um, actually, you know, sort of now saying that um, they're looking at other alternatives. I mean, we mm. had, um, you know, Brazil and China now talking about settling in Yuan. <laughs> um, we saw in December... Uh, President Xi visited Saudi Arabia and what came out of that was not just, you know, trade, you know, investment in Saudi Arabia, oil deals. We had the gas deal from Qatar into China and they're prepared to accept you aren't. I know for, for goodness sake. Um, I mean, we've fought wars in the Middle East basically to ensure that they're still on our side, mm. <laughs> you know, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's why the, the Middle East has been so important to us. It's so central. Um, mm. so we have this situation now where, you know, the rats are leaving the Western, um, sinking theater ship. Mm. Um, and I think that it's what it's doing is it's bringing forward, if you like, very rapidly the day when, um, the majority of the world by population is turning its back on. Western currencies. It is a major, major development. Um, they're now doing it because not not because of some sort of um, you know we don't like the Americans and we prefer the Asians in any way. China is investing in our country or whatever. Um, it's not that now. It is actually fear of uh, the collapse of the fiat currency system. Mm. And I mean. These governments were alerted to this at the um, St. Petersburg International Financial, what was it Inter- uh, International Financial and Economic Forum, whatever it was called, back in June last year, when President Putin stood up and said, "You know, look, why hold um, these currencies? You know, we're talking about dollars and euros." When their purchasing power is going down, I mean, at that time, I think the rate of inflation was six, seven percent, if you like, recorded, and interest rates are far lower than they are today. So you're on an automatic loser, and they can effectively steal your your reserves. You know, why store your gold in their vaults when um, they'll deny you access to it? Because this is what we did with Venezuela. We told the Venezuelans, yeah. "Oh, we don't, we don't recognize you." Um, so we're going to hang on to your gold, you know, and when you get democracy and all the rest of it, I mean, it was more specific than that. I mean, we were told by the Americans. So what do we do? We just go along with the Americans, you know. So uh, and um, I mean, the whole of the NATO thing is 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 very much American policy driven. Mm. Um, but there were 81 delegations in in uh, that uh, St. Petersburg forum. Um official delegations, there was something like 14,000 attendees from all around the world. And the message they got from our actions against Russia when it comes to currencies um, and reserves was loud and clear, and they recognised this. So there is now effectively, I mean, they've been warned. Um, I think the selling of the dollar is about to accelerate because they're going to move out of that 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 currency they realize that the future is not to use the dollar Mm -hmm. um, particularly with the banking system because bear in mind that you know if you own um, deposits even though you may have deposits in the local let's say in the local islamic bank those deposits through the the um, uh, you know through the banking system are actually held on the islamic bank's behalf by say citibank in new york yep. yeah so you're you're in the banking system in 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 america with your dollars it doesn't matter it doesn't matter whether it's your local bank you know through a local bank account or whatever it really doesn't matter so this is danger i think that um they're going to get out they're going to get out of the, the their dollars i think with um With a degree of urgency, we could see this begin to develop very, very quickly.
0: If you take China, they've sold their uh, treasuries for uh, I don't know how many years, but for many years, and they have now what was the figure I saw? uh, Well, probably down some thirty percent from its height. I mean, they still have a lot of treasuries. How how can that uh, evolve or
1: well, yeah, I mean, China. Uh, yes, you're right. China did hold more treasuries than she does now. She has reduced her position. Um, mm. Japan is now the largest holder of U.S. treasuries. Um, Japan has other interests, if you like, in dollars, uh, which um, she may or may not want to uh, liquidate. Mm.
0: Um,
1: but no, I mean, China's trying to get out of it as well. But she's got a difficult problem because a lot of her economy is based on uh, manufacturing exports for yeah. America and also Europe. Uh, and uh, a collapsing currency is going to make, um, uh, if you like, the profitability of those businesses, um, it's going to impact negatively.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and you know it could wipe out quite a lot of business. Now, having said that, this doesn't mean to say that the trade imbalances will disappear. No, they won't, um, because unless the Americans save, which with a, <laughs> with a collapsing currency is even less likely than it is currently, uh, then the budget deficit, which is accelerating and will accelerate in America, will be reflected in a trade deficit. You know, it's the twin deficit syndrome. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that the... Um, Chinese situation, they're they're walking on eggshells a little bit with this. They don't want to precipitate a crisis, partly because they don't want to be blamed for a crisis, but particularly because it's not in their commercial interest to do so. Now, having said that, and despite having had um, a residential property crisis in 2022, uh, her economy is developing quite nicely, while at the same time Western economies are going down the drain. So um, now, why is this? This is because um, of investment inflows. Um, The level of bank credit is expanding quite rapidly, which contrasts with us, we're contracting. Um, This is not necessarily inflationary uh, for the very simple reason that the expansion of bank credit is matched by and large or to a very large extent by an increase in savings. So it doesn't fuel into consumer prices in the way in which it would in America and Britain. And I guess probably Norway as well. Mm. Um, this is a very important difference. Now, I think a lot of this investment is in, is, is ramping up. Um, stockpiling, if you like, of um, necessary uh, commodities. Um, Some is going into gold. Of that that there is absolutely no doubt. Uh, And I think some of it is also ramping up for, um, you know, the expansion of um, uh, communications, you know, like Silk Roads and, um, and all the rest of it throughout Asia <clears throat> because China and Russia between them plan to industrialize or turn the whole of Asia into, you know, have an industrial revolution, um, mm. which is far larger in scale than we saw in the 19th century in this country. And look where that got us. It got us to be the most dominant global power um, before the First World War. So what they're proposing is major. And I think that... Um, when you look at the shifts of capital around the world, the idea that um, you invest in America for um, you know technology and all the rest of it, um, <clears throat> and that's where the capital flows go, and certainly the Americans have worked very hard to ensure that capital flows continue to go in that direction rather than out of America. I think it's reversing, and the consequences actually for the Americans are going to be very dire, and because it's dire for them, it's dire for us. Mm.
0: I I um I permit myself to shift gears a little bit because I some of the things you've written about in your articles are I find them very interesting and you've spent some time uh, or you've written a couple of times about Gibson's paradox and yeah. I I love to when I first discovered that it was like uh, an epiphany for me oh good um and So call it the the conceptual thing, if I might call it that, behind central banks and and the way that they govern uh, price inflation uh, with their interest rates. But you've written, you've, uh, yeah, just please, can you say something about Gibson's paradox, interest rates and the price of money and, and from your latest article, the lack of, which is quite obvious, the lack of relationship between the interest rate and the growth in M2 or M3.
1: Yeah, um, well, Gibson's Paradox was known a long time ago. uh, Yeah. But it was named after Arthur Gibson um, uh, by actually Keynes. And Keynes couldn't explain it. Mm -hmm. And because he couldn't explain it, Nobody else can really explain it either. So they just assume that it doesn't exist. (laughs) But basically what Gibson's paragraphs pointed out is that um, there is no relationship between interest rates and the rate of inflation. Mm. The problem for central banks is they've ignored this and their principal means of trying to control inflation is through interest rates. Mm. But Gibson's paradox says, no, there is no correlation there at all. So it's not going to work. And Indeed, we're we're finding this. I mean, very, very simply, the um, the way to explain it is is uh, that what happens with the purchasing power of currencies and interest rates is that um, when you part with money, let's say you're going to save it rather than spend it, then. You expect to be paid something um, which we call time preference uh, mm. for giving someone else the use of the money until it's returned to you. Now, on mm. top of time preference, so there is the risk that whoever you're lending it to isn't going to return it. So you have got counterparty risk as well. But with fiat currencies, you have an additional risk, which we never had under a gold standard. And that is that the currency itself will be debauched, debased, whatever, to some degree uh, or other. Uh, and uh, consequently, you should seek contribute, you know, compensation for that. So that is actually the purpose of interest rates. Effectively, it is, it is the way in which you measure the discount between money in possession today mm. and money in possession tomorrow. Money in possession tomorrow is worth less than it is today. So the idea that you can control the rate of inflation by pricing money, if you like, has got it completely the wrong way around. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't want to go into, you know, sort of huge great details about Gibson's paradox and all that, but that's the basic explanation. They've got Mm -hmm. it completely the wrong way around. And of course, the implication of that is that um, rather than this idea that, um, you know, uh, don't worry, the rate of CPI is going to come back to 2% in 2024, 2025, whenever, it, gets, it goes further and further out. But there's still, every government economist assumes it's going to go back to 2%. I mean, God, what planet do they live on? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's, it, it's actually irrelevant. The problem is that you and I when we have a bank deposit, which at the moment, incidentally, they're still paying 0.1% or something ridiculous on, you know, <laughs> nothing. Yes. You know, we need to be compensated, and mm. that I think is 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 really what it is all about. So the, the central banks have got it completely the wrong way around. and it's yes. it's down to Keynes, I think, more than anybody else. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's. um Frightening in in many ways. Um, any any last thoughts on how can how do you see this play out going forward? I mean, it's it's kind of a it's not a very good question. But do you have any thoughts around that? Uh, well, it's in the yeah. future. It's unknown. But,
1: Gregor, it's it's I I think it's quite simple. Um, mm. Uh, the, the central banks, and we're talking about the major central banks, uh, have absolutely no mandate at all to um, allow unemployment to increase, um, you know, really increase. And not only that, but their mandate quite clearly is to support the financial system, come what may um, and we had an example of this back in France, and I keep on repeating this example. John Law got a bubble going in France in 17 between 1717 and 1720. 17, it was called the Mississippi bubble, and he created his own currency in order to do it. Um, it was wildly successful. Um, it got everybody rich in France as long as you were in Paris or Lyon or wherever the financial centers were. Very, very briefly, but the whole thing collapsed. And um, at the end of that uh, collapse, what happened was that the Mississippi venture still had theoretical value. I mean, it had a price in the market of 4000 livres, which was John Law's currency at the time. But the exchange rate for the livre in London and Amsterdam, which are the two foreign exchange centers um, in the early 18th century, uh, was zero. There's no quote. Mm. And I think that's where we're going. We're destroying the currency in order to try and protect the status quo. And what I don't know is how long it will take. But everything I see suggests that this actually could happen pretty quickly. But Mm. I I wouldn't stick my neck out and put a time on it. But it's you know, we're on we're on the slippery slope now, I think, Um, uh, you know, because of that point I made about, you know, Banks looking at each other and trying to control their risk. In other words, the banking system itself is failing completely and is probably failing more rapidly than we would like to think.
0: Hmm. Interesting times. Um, I thank you very much, Alistair. I know you have other things to do, and um, I appreciate very much your time. Thank you.
1: That was my pleasure, Gregor. Goodbye. Bye.